Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course podcast from the University of Minnesota. This episode is adapted from a webinar that aired on March 29th, 2017. The podcast discusses managing and evaluating performance in the context of the University of Minnesota. For more information and resources, visit supervising.umn.edu and explore Module 2 on Managing and Evaluating Performance. Welcome, everybody. This is Christina McGuire from Leadership and Talent Development in the Office of Human Resources. I'd like to welcome you to today's session, Managing and Evaluating Performance. Our presenters today from Leadership and Talent Development are Dr. Brandon Sullivan, Senior Director, and myself, Christina McGuire, a Leadership Consultant. Also joining us to assist in the answer and question portion of the webinar is Donna Setoff, a Senior Consultant. So let's kick off our topic of Managing and Evaluating Performance. First of all, you should know or be aware of your college, campus, or unit's performance management processes, including the timing, the steps, and any form or tools you need to use. This is all determined locally, and your human resources team is a great place to start as you prepare for your performance review activities. Because there is such a wide range of approaches used across the university, the purpose of this webinar is to share what research and leading practices say about what works in managing and evaluating performance. We'll show you how to be effective in setting annual and short-term goals, checking in about progress, providing feedback and coaching throughout the year, and evaluating performance, including writing and delivering formal performance reviews. Note, merit pay decisions are determined locally and is separate from what we will cover in this webinar today. And if you've already completed reviews for the year, don't worry, this is a great time to start the new process that we'll be covering today. The practices and examples we will share are designed to be useful across many types of work. As you learn the material presented today, think about the people you supervise, consider the nature of the work that they do, along with their individual needs. Think about how you can apply this material to support their performance and development. And most importantly, apply your judgment about what will work for the people you supervise. This is a critical ingredient in the effective performance management process. So before continuing, let's take a moment for our first poll. Our polling question, which of the following describes your current experience with performance management? Select all that apply. A, it's frustrating and time consuming than productive and helpful. It's a, B, it's an administrative exercise that isn't directly tied to the day-to-day -day work. C, it consists primarily of writing and delivering annual performance reviews. D, it's generally a productive, helpful process, but I'd like to find more ways to approve it. Or E, I love it, helps me motivate and develop the people I supervise. So go ahead and answer that question. It looks like um, most people selected um, D, that it's uh, mostly productive, helpful, um, but definitely see ways to, um, or would like to find ways to improve it. So that we hope that you find um, many different ways to improve it throughout this webinar. And thank you for providing us with some quick data from your perspective. It's not surprising to hear that some of you say that you find performance management to be time consuming or an administrative exercise. And that might be because we're currently, the way we're currently doing it at the university really falls under the traditional performance management process. So let me explain what that means. Um, this is what the traditional performance management process looks like. There's a lot of activity that happens at the beginning of the year when annual goals are set and another activity spike at the end of the year when the formal performance evaluations are delivered and merit pay decisions are made. It's designed with good intentions in mind, but the traditional process can be time consuming and frustrating and accomplishes very little. And unfortunately does not increase performance and development. 
And in some units across the university, annual goals aren't even set at all. So it becomes this once a year overwhelming task perceived as an administrative exercise when in fact, the true purpose of performance management is quite the opposite. So what do we want performance management to accomplish? It should help employees develop and grow. It should improve communication between you and your employees, align individual work to achieve the organization's goals, help individuals and teams perform to their highest potential. The problem is that traditional performance management does not accomplish these goals. It must be more than a formal appraisal system. It should be an everyday part of high performance culture. So why do we do it this way? Well, it's sort of the way we've always done it. Traditional performance management was designed decades ago, think World War II, and has gone through several iterations since then. Over the past several years, there have been major advances in our understanding of how to achieve the goals of performance management. Leading public and private sector organizations, such as the University of Arizona, Cargill, or Google, have changed their approach and transformed performance management from a demotivating and time-consuming process to a set of practices that create a culture of learning and development and strong performance. So instead of just one or two spikes of activity, there's activity happening to support performance during the whole year. And it's more than work than you're, and it's not more work than you're already doing today because the work is evenly distributed. You're probably already doing a lot of this already. It's just being more intentional. And this approach to performance management is much more effective as a process of goal setting, ongoing check-ins, and formal evaluation. With goal setting and ongoing check-ins, you're preparing yourself for the formal evaluation the whole time instead of frantically trying to do all these things at the end. We actually have a really cool video on traditional versus effective performance management, so make sure to check out the course module and watch it after the webinar. And you're probably participating in this webinar hoping to learn something about performance reviews. Don't worry, we will get there. However, the formal evaluation is actually the final step in the effective performance management. A performance review documents performance, but it doesn't manage it. And if you're thinking, uh-oh, I haven't done goal setting or check-ins at all this year, that's okay. It's the perfect time to wrap up your performance reviews and start fresh for the coming year. Goal setting is up first, and I'll turn it over to Brandon, who will launch another poll. All right, so before we talk about goal setting, I'd like to hear a little bit about what all of you are experiencing in terms of how, how does goal setting fit into your current performance management process. So take a look at each of these options and select any that apply. A, goal setting is not part of our performance management process. B, specific measurable goals and timelines are set at the beginning of the year. C, broad goals are set at the beginning of the year. D, goals are discussed and updated throughout the year. And E, in practice, goals are created late in the year because they are required for annual reviews. We know this does happen. <laughs> So take a look at those options and indicate any that describe your current performance management process. We'll give you just a minute to, to look at those. All right. So the most common answer, looks like it was actually uh, pretty distributed across, but uh, broad goals are set at the beginning of the year. 39% said that. That's really good. We're going to talk about goal setting, and that's actually a really uh, effective approach. Um, we have 8% who said goal setting is not part of your performance management process. And 12% said that goals are created late in the year as they're required for annual reviews. And I've certainly seen that uh, in, in a number of units and colleges here. On paper, goal setting happens at the beginning of the year, but, but it doesn't always occur. So um, we'll talk now about goal setting because goal setting is a very, part, a very important part of managing and evaluating performance. So when you think of goal setting, you may think of SMART goals, 
Um, if you haven't heard of SMART goals, uh, SMART stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Realistic, and Time-Bound. And this is a very common practice for setting goals. The downside of SMART goals is that they can take a lot of time and energy to create, and changes in projects and priorities often render SMART goals outdated long before the annual review. Goals are very important, but they need to stay relevant as work changes throughout the year. An effective approach is to set about three to five challenging and meaningful, but somewhat broad goals at the beginning of the year, and then to set shorter term goals throughout the year based on the nature of the work. So now we'll walk through how you might do this. Effective goal setting really starts with asking the person for their thoughts and ideas. Setting goals is a two-way street, and the people you supervise will be more likely to find their goals meaningful and motivating if they have input. The simplest way to do this is just to ask the person questions like, what do you want to accomplish in your work over the next year? Or what do you see as the most important work you need to get done in the next year? Or what skills will you need to develop to be successful? To show you how you might do this, meet Kij. If you've explored the materials on the supervisory development course website for the feedback and coaching module, you already know Kij. He has worked in your lab for the past two years. Part of his responsibility is process improvement and technical documentation for your lab's productivity. Let's say you ask Kij what he wants to accomplish. He talks about a number of ongoing projects. Then he surprises you with an idea he came up with for a new tool that could make your lab's data collection process more efficient and reduce the time it takes to get the data ready for analysis. You then ask what skills he thinks he needs to develop to succeed. He says he isn't sure, and then says he thinks he has all of the skills he will need. We'll come back to this point in a moment when we talk about behavioral competencies, but it would be important to identify the skills Keys will need to succeed and to build these into his goals. For most roles, identify the three to five most important expectations for this employee over the next year. Goals should be brief and meaningful. Consider, how can this person best contribute to the success of your department or unit? An important part of setting goals is to include expectations for both results and behaviors. For example, in your goal setting conversations with Kij, you might agree on the following as one goal for the year. Evaluate the cost, benefits, and risks of the new data analysis tool. And if the evaluation supports it, implement the tool in the lab. This goal describes the results Kij needs to achieve, but not how he needs to achieve it. So the question is, what are the skills, knowledge, and abilities, also called behavioral competencies, he will need to develop to be successful? As you continue discussing goals with Kij, you might agree to add the following to the first goal. Use your knowledge and experience to help others in the lab improve and learn more effective ways to store and analyze data. This is an important behavioral competency Keys will need to achieve the results described in the goal. So I wanna take just a moment now to talk about behavioral competencies. These are the skills, knowledge, and abilities needed for success in a particular role. They describe expectations for how results are achieved, and they include technical leadership and interpersonal factors. Leadership and interpersonal factors are about how you work with others to achieve results. For example, behaviors such as the ability to maintain productive relationships with others, even when faced with conflict, or to listen respectfully and openly to others, regardless of their level, position, or background, describe a competency in building relationships. The Leadership and Talent Development Team created a leadership competency model that groups the key competencies into specific University of Minnesota leadership challenges, results, 
vision, engagement, collaboration, and accountability. When using a tool like this, it is important to focus on the behaviors when setting goals, providing coaching, and evaluating performance. The behaviors are observable and specific. The competencies are a convenient way to group behaviors and talk about the skills needed to meet expectations for performance. If this is a tool you would like to learn more about, check out the introductory video, the full competency model, and the assessment tool on the Supervisory Development course website. To illustrate one way you might use this, these tools, if you are Keisha's supervisor, you could use the tool to assess Keisha's development priorities, ask him to do the self-assessment, and then review these as part of your conversation about his goals. For example, if you both completed the assessment and agreed that builds relationships is a competency he will need to do more of to be successful, then improvement on this competency could be added as a goal for the next year. You might further highlight one behavior that you think is most critical, say proactively keeps others informed of important updates, information, and issues. Focusing on the behaviors will make the discussions more specific and actionable and will help you and Keij know what success looks like. As you create goals, describe how these three to five goals will contribute to the broader priorities of the department, college, or unit. So why is this important? Well, consider how motivated you would be if someone asked you to put effort into something that didn't seem to have a purpose. When people understand the broader purpose of their work, it increases motivation and persistence. A common mistake is setting goals that are too easy to achieve. Effective goals are challenging enough that they take significant effort. Ask yourself, would achieving a particular goal be a meaningful and significant accomplishment? If not, consider making the goal more challenging. A good goal will push someone outside of their comfort zone. So back to Keish. It might be tempting to set a goal such as complete the data analysis tool evaluation and implement it if appropriate. Is this goal challenging enough? Probably not. All he has to do to succeed is to complete the project, which is not a very high bar. It's easy to imagine Keys checking the box, completing the project, but not making much of a contribution to the lab. Instead, you could describe a clear picture of what success would look like. For example, you might say something like, identify and implement several new methods, tools, and process improvements that significantly reduce the amount of time needed to get data ready for analysis, including ensuring that every researcher in the lab understands and is comfortable with the changes. This is a much more challenging goal that would take significant effort to achieve and would have a meaningful impact. So take the time to create well-designed goals. Although it may be tempting to skip goal setting, doing so will deprive you of one of the most powerful ways that you can motivate employees, focus their efforts, and help them improve their performance. Clear and relevant goals are the foundation for effective coaching and feedback, as well as for performance evaluations. Once you've set goals, be sure to have ongoing check-ins on a regular basis to discuss progress toward these goals, to update and revise them, and to create more specific shorter-term goals. Avoid the set and forget trap of writing goals and not looking at them again until review time. We'll talk about this next, but first we'd like to answer some of the questions that you have about goal setting. So here's, uh, here's one question that came through. What is a good way to set distinguishable individual goals for people who have the exact same job? And that's a, a really good question. And if they literally have the exact same job, their goals may be very, very similar. Um, I I'm guessing that they're not doing exactly the same projects and the exact same assignments. Um, and if, if that's true, then they would, the goals would probably be similar, but would be specific to 
the particular goal uh, assignments, projects that they're going to be working on. Um, you might also think about those behavioral competencies. Um, the employees may be at different points in development on some of those competencies, and so their own individual goals might reflect differences in what they need to work on and develop. Here's one. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, our work is constantly changing. We often have to respond to new or unexpected situations, so our goals change throughout the year. Um, and absolutely, that is very, very common, and that's one of the reasons why um, we're, we don't recommend using uh, SMART goals for most jobs as annual goals, because I think it's, it's good to have them be specific and measurable and so on, but most of the time, a year is too long. You set a goal at the beginning of the year, it's going to shift and change, which is actually a really nice segue to the next section where we're going to talk about ongoing check-ins. And that's not just, as you'll see, about coaching and feedback. It's also about setting new goals that are shorter-term goals, that are more specific goals that are going to fit the work throughout the year. So I'll actually turn it back to Christina then to, to talk about that. Okay. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, so our next topic is ongoing check-ins. So we have a poll here. Um, which I invite you to complete. It says, which of the following have you experienced with someone you supervise? And go ahead and select all that apply and don't forget to hit submit at the bottom. Um, A is the expectation that you are supposed to take ownership for advancing their career. At B, you take the time to create detailed and measurable goals only to find that they become outdated as work changes, making performance evaluation difficult. C, when something goes wrong with a new project or assignment, being told that you didn't provide clear expectations. And D, you deliver an annual performance review and the person reacts with surprise and becomes defensive. So we'll give you a few um, moments to select all that you have experienced with someone that you have supervised. And so a lot of responses here. It looks like the of those that, that did answer, it looks like A, um, the expectation that you are supposed to take ownership for advancing their career, something that is experienced quite a lot. And also um, that idea that um, you create measurable goals only to see that the work has changed, um, making performance evaluation um, difficult. So these are all common pain points in the traditional performance management process, but the good news is that they can all be addressed through ongoing check-ins, which is the next step in our effective performance management process. Um, an ongoing check-in is really just a conversation about progress toward goals and talking about what's going well and what could be going better. It does not need to be a formal or complicated process. In fact, frequent informal conversations often work best. The key is simply taking the time to have the conversations and making sure you focus on the most important things. It's actually a two for one, because you'll, you will establish effective feedback and coaching practices at the same time. Ongoing check-ins are the key to on-the-job learning, which is the single most important way people improve and grow at work. This is where the action is and where you can truly manage and evaluate performance. After broad annual goals are set, your check-in should occur throughout the year. There are three things that happen during check-ins, discussing goals, providing coaching, and evaluating progress. During your first check-in, you'll want to agree on the roles and responsibilities between you and your direct report so that expectations are set from the get-go. Let's stick with Keish from the previous example that Brandon shared. You've already set his broad annual goals and it comes time for your first check-in. You tell Keish that your role as his supervisor is to communicate vision and strategy, clarify his role in the big picture, provide clear expectations for results and behaviors or the what and how of his work, define what success looks like, 
and bring goals and expectations into regular feedback and coaching conversations. In the same conversation, encourage Keish to take ownership of his own career development by setting goals, seeking opportunities, asking for guidance when needed. Ask questions about your expectations and his goals. Be proactive when work seems misaligned with broader goals and seek and act on feedback. A note of caution, be clear with Keish about his role during your check-ins during the year. If he's not doing his part, address this directly. Otherwise, your efforts will be wasted. A common trap for supervisors is to take on responsibility for an employee's role, but this is not your job. For example, if you've given the same feedback in many different ways, but don't seem to see a change in Keish's results or behavior, address this with Keish and don't let it linger. No one can make anyone change. Remember the self-awareness factor from the coaching process? That's good advice for any relationship. Once you've established roles and responsibilities with your direct reports, you shouldn't have to revisit them again unless things start to go south during the year. Then, during each check-in, briefly review goals and discuss how individual projects and assignments fit into the bigger picture. Make sure the employee is making progress toward these goals. When people understand how their day-to-day -day work efforts contribute to broader goals and serve a bigger purpose, they will be more motivated and engaged in their work. If you haven't set annual goals, it's never too late. Keep in mind, goals don't have to be formal to be effective. When new projects or assignments come up, discuss how they fit into the employee's annual goals or they don't fit in the goals. Talk about why it makes sense for the person to take on this work and add them as ongoing flexible goals. As you would with any performance goal, paint a clear picture of what success looks like and discuss the behavioral competencies that will be most critical for success. This means clear expectations for results and how to achieve them. Be sure to write this information down or record somewhere so that the two of you will be able to look back at it later if you forget or want to revisit the conversation in a future check-in. And writing it down will help you create an easier summary when it comes time for formal performance reviews. Getting back to Keish, be sure to ask how he thinks the work is going during check-ins. This sounds like, so it's going to, so how's it going getting that data collection process set up for the new project? Keish may tell you what's going well, what he's struggling with, and where he needs your help. But if he says something like, things are fine, then you would want to ask some more specific questions to better understand his progress, such as, tell me what's going well on the project, and then praise him for his good ideas and hard work, or ask him, what has been the most difficult part of the project so far, and then help him think through how to handle any difficulties he's facing. That's coaching in action. Speaking of coaching, coaching should always be part of a good check-in. We have an entirely separate module, the coaching and feedback, module one, so I'd invite you to reference the content there, but we'll do a quick summary of key points. People need self-awareness and motivation to learn from coaching, because if they don't, you can't really move forward until they do. It's your job to help them see why putting in time and energy into the work is worth it. You can do this by connecting them to their goals, of course. Finally, supporting an employee in their development includes opportunities to master skills and apply learning on the job, recognizing improvement, rewarding success, and holding them accountable if improvement doesn't take place. Speaking of accountability, discuss and agree on next steps for the work, for the person's development, and for your check-ins. This can be as simple or highly detailed, and it can be informal or formal. Consider what makes the most sense for the work, the individual, and ultimately you, the supervisor, and what makes sense within your college, campus, or unit. At a minimum, discuss and agree on what are the person's next steps, what are your next steps, and when will each of you complete them. Because we broke down a check-in check into separate slides, it may have come across way more complicated than it actually is. So before we move on, Brandon and I are going to demonstrate how simple an actual check-in can be.
I will be Keisha's supervisor and Brandon will be Keish. Hi Keish, so how's it going getting the data collection process set up for the new project? Things are fine, I'm going well. That's good to hear. Well, Amy stopped by my office yesterday and said that she really appreciates how quickly you're getting this set up for her study. Yeah, it's been a lot of work, but so far so good. It's a pretty interesting project. So what has been the most difficult part so far? Well, probably just understanding what Amy needs. Her requirements are really different from most of the other projects. It's not too difficult, just different. So how has the project affected the other projects that you had going on this week? Well, I've had to push back a few other deadlines so I can get the work done for Amy, but it's not a big deal. The other work really isn't as urgent. Okay, well, that makes sense. Have you let the others know that your work for their projects is going to be pushed out? Oh, I'm sure it won't be a big deal. I know what their deadlines are. It won't be a problem. Um, of course, but have you let them know? Uh, no, I guess I haven't. So I know it seems like a, a little bit of a hassle, but you should let them know. A quick email or five-minute conversation would do it. Remember how we talked about one of your goals for this year is to do more um, to keep others informed of important dates, informations, and issues? Um, so this is a great example of a chance to work on that. It will help the others in the lab have a better sense for your workload and priorities, and will help them adjust their plans once they know about your change in timing. It's possible the change might cause problems that you aren't aware of, and it's better to let them know now when you could do something about it versus once there's a big problem. All right, I guess that makes sense. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I'll put it in an email and send it to the others. Okay, great. Well, thanks and keep up the good work. So that is an example of a good check-in. We touched on Keisha's goals and I, as a supervisor, evaluated him on how he's doing so far and then provided coaching so that he continues to meet his goal. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's just about being more intentional. And you've probably already had these conversations, but the key is to make sure you're touching on progress toward goals, coaching, and evaluation. At this time, we'd like to know if you have any questions. Um, so please, again, use the Q&A feature to the right of your screen to submit any question. We'll follow or we'll answer a few now and then some more at the end of the webinar. But any questions that we don't get to can be found in the course Q&A. Um, so here's um, a good question. I don't know if um, Brandon or Donna might want to chime in on this one. Um, what is a good balance between allowing employees to identify goals versus having the supervisor suggest goals? Yeah, that's a good question, and that, that's going to depend a bit on the employee. Uh, in an ideal world, it would really be a collaboration between the employee and the supervisor, um, and both would be able to come up with important uh, components of the work. And actually, for a lot of very experienced uh, and seasoned employees, they could probably you know, play an even larger role than their supervisor in setting goals. Um, but then there are many employees who would need more clear direction from their supervisor if you're someone is new to the role or they're new in their career and they're not really sure what that would look like or what the priorities would be. So this is really going to be, you know, ideally a two-way street um, and you would kind of vary how much you give direction as a supervisor versus how much, you know, kind of independence you have for the employee depending on the work and, and depending on where the employee's at. Um, there are some, too, coming in about this idea of using the job description as a guide for goal setting. Um, so how are ways to um, balance that um, so it doesn't just turn out that basically your goal is to do your job? So I'll speak from my experience uh, working with a lot of organizations on this. And it, it is another one. In an ideal world, a job description would be a nice guide for doing an evaluation and talking about goals. The reality in my experience is oftentimes job descriptions um, are, are 
outdated. They don't necessarily reflect the level of detail that you would need with a particular employee to have that kind of conversation. Um, if job descriptions haven't been updated recently uh, and someone's been in their, their role for several years, the description may no longer be a good guide to what's important. So I think a job description can be a useful reference tool. And if it's updated and it's accurate and it's complete, um, it might be a very helpful tool, but know that a lot of times it, it may just be a starting point and it's gonna be more helpful to just think about what is the work uh, in front of this person? What are the most important components of that work um, and, and go from there? Um, thank you. And thanks to everyone for your questions. So I'm gonna, um, let Brandon talk about what you've all been waiting for, the formal evaluation, and we have our final poll to kick that off. So I'll let Brandon take it away. All right. Yeah. So we're going to move into the part many of you are probably waiting for here, uh, performance evaluation. But first, we'd like to hear a little bit about what uh, you're all experiencing. So uh, if you could take a look at these and let us know what, what's going on with you. So which of the following are included in your, this would be current performance review process, and you can select uh, any of these that apply. So A, an employee summary of their major accomplishments and the impact. Uh, B, employee self ratings. C, input from others who work with the employee. D, an evaluation of the results the employee achieved. E, an evaluation of how the person achieved their results. So this would include behavioral competencies. Uh, F, a simple summary of the conversations that already happened during regular check-ins uh, throughout the year. So take a minute there and take a look at those and think about what you're experiencing right now in your performance review process and let us know. Um, so we got uh, oh, lots of people um, saying that they get an employee summary, about half of you said an employee summary of their major accomplishments and impact. That's wonderful. That's really uh, one of the more helpful things that you can do. Um, about half uh, had employees doing self-rating. So we'll talk about that in a minute. There's some big downsides to that. Um, and then uh, the next most common was an evaluation of the results that the employee achieved. Um, and uh, almost half of you said that. Uh, less than a third said an evaluation of how the person achieved their results. And this would be those skills, knowledge, and abilities that are required. So that might be something, uh, if, you're, if you don't do that, for you to kind of think about uh, that as an option. And about 15% of you said a simple summary of conversations that already happened during regular check-ins. And uh, one of the benefits of moving to a system of really using regular check-ins is often then that's all that's required at the annual review for most employees. All right, so let's, uh, let's dive in here. So uh, your particular process for performance reviews and merit pay are going to be determined locally. So the first step is to know your process uh, if you're not already aware. Checking with your local human resources team would be a good place to start if you need that information. In this section, we're gonna talk about best practices that can help you ensure that your performance evaluations are effective and on point with what works. Uh, some of these practices may not fit with your current process, and that's okay. If that's the case, you should follow your current process, but we would encourage you to start conversations about what might make sense for your college or unit in the future. By the time you get to the formal evaluation or the performance review, it should be a simple summary of the conversations that already happened during regular check-ins throughout the year. Although we know many people, you know, that's not your reality right now. Um, but this is why it's important to start with setting some good goals and then have check-ins. Uh, and that's something that you can start right now. 
If you've not had check-in conversations, your task in doing a performance review is going to be a little more challenging, but the same steps we're going to talk about now would apply. First, as you gather information to write annual reviews, have each employee describe their key results and accomplishments for the year. These descriptions should include the situations they faced, the actions that they took, the results they achieved, and the impact of those results, or how they contributed to your department or unit. So getting back to Keij to illustrate this a little bit. As a supervisor, you might say, Keij, as we get ready for your annual review, I'd like your input. It would be helpful if you could write down what you see as your three or four most important accomplishments over the past year. For each of your accomplishments, write about the situation or problem you were trying to address, what you personally did, and how your work helped our lab be successful. I created a shared Google Doc that we can use for this. You might be tempted to have Keyes rate himself and then compare these to your ratings. This is actually not recommended. Employee self-ratings are usually inflated, which sets up the conversation for defensiveness and bad feelings when a manager does not rate a person as highly as that person rated her or himself. For example, if Keyes rated himself as outstanding and you as a supervisor saw him as meets expectations, then Keyes is likely to feel deflated, disappointed, and possibly defensive. If this happens, your conversation with him will be focused on you explaining to a defensive supervisee why you didn't rate him as outstanding, rather than focusing on his accomplishments, what he did well, and what he needs to work on to improve. So instead of self-ratings, focus employee input on accomplishments and impact. This will set you up for a more positive and productive conversation. Next, consider input from others who work with the employee such as peers or key partners in other departments or units. They can provide important information about the employee's work and performance. In many cases, you can simply ask others for their input in a conversation, in an email, or using a survey. When you receive feedback from others, be sure to think carefully about its relevance and usefulness, and consider how the feedback fits with your own observations and other information. Many people do not have the full picture and only see a portion of someone's performance. For example, when you were asking uh, for feedback about Keij, say one of the grad students says, Keij is a poor planner. He needs to do a better job of meeting deadlines. He told me he would have a project completed on Monday, but didn't get it done until Friday. Well, you may know that the reason he didn't get the project done was that you gave him an urgent assignment and told him to make it a top priority. When you see this feedback, you know that the real issue was that when the urgent assignment came up, he didn't communicate with that grad student that he would have to move the deadline for the other project. It's not that he's a poor planner. So feedback from others is a very important source of information, but it varies widely in relevance and usefulness. A key part of the review is an evaluation of the results the employee achieved. When you sit down to write a performance review, you usually begin by summarizing the person's most important accomplishments over the past year. As you do this, consider what the employee had to say. Consider the feedback you receive from others, giving the most weight to specific examples where you know what the situation was, how the person handled it, and what the impact or outcome was. Vague, ambiguous, or overly general comments such as she's a rock star or he needs a better attitude generally don't tell you much about the person's accomplishments and impact, although these comments may prompt a follow-up conversation so you can understand why that person thinks she's a rock star and the other person feels he needs a better attitude. Another key part of a review is an evaluation of how the person achieved their results. 
First, identify and describe the most important skills, knowledge, and abilities. Again, these are called behavioral competencies that the person needed to achieve the results expected of them. Including behaviors in the evaluation process is an important way of differentiating between employees who are performing more or less effectively than others. If you do not have a behavioral model, a behavioral competency model already, you may use the university competency model, which we developed as a resource to help you. For any competencies you use, be sure to explain why they are important expectations for the role by linking them to the job and expectations for results. Using your own observations, as well as input from the employee and others they work with, describe their effectiveness on the important behavioral competencies for the role. For each one, evaluate, did they consistently demonstrate these behaviors throughout their work? If so, this would be a strength that likely contributed to their accomplishments for the year. Or did they demonstrate these behaviors some of the time, but not all of the time? Maybe they demonstrated these behaviors very little or even not at all. If so, this would be a development need and something that likely gets in the way of achieving results. For example, if you and Keyes agreed that builds relationships is a competency critical for his success, you would want to evaluate his effectiveness on these behaviors as part of his overall performance evaluation. You would do this by looking at the behaviors that fall into the builds relationships competency and consider how effectively he demonstrated those behaviors over the past year. One of these behaviors is proactively keeps others informed of important updates, information, and issues. Did he consistently demonstrate this behavior throughout his work? Did he demonstrate this some of the time, but not all of the time? Or maybe he demonstrated this very little or not at all. The next step is to take the information we just discussed and turn it into a written review. Before I talk about best practices and how to do this, just a reminder, your specific review process, including any forms or tools you need to use, are determined locally at the college and unit level. You will most likely be providing performance ratings as part of your reviews. Although you should follow your local process, keep in mind the following research-supported best practices for ratings. First, there are many rating scales used across the university. The most common are five to seven point scales in which each point on the scale is defined so that supervisors can use them in a consistent and fair manner. If your rating scale has clear descriptions and criteria, which hopefully they do, pay close attention to these details and use them in rating employee performance. Next, if your process allows for this, provide ratings for how well the person met expectations for both results and behaviors. Differences in skills, knowledge, and abilities, behavioral competencies, are often a key factor differentiating top, middle, and bottom performers. If your process involves multiple ratings, say ratings of results and ratings of competencies, when it comes to computing an overall score, the best approach is simply to average scores across each component of the review. More complex rating schemes don't tend to produce more accurate or more useful results, but they can take a lot more time and energy and can be very difficult to explain to employees. As we talked about already, it is not recommended that you have employees provide self-ratings, as these are likely to be inflated and often create defensiveness during the review discussion. Instead, have them describe their accomplishments and impact, which can be incorporated into the review. The heart of a performance review is a narrative to help the employee understand why they received a particular score or set of scores. Narratives should include specific behavioral examples for each rating, and they should describe the results achieved and the impact of those results on broader priorities or goals. Examples of accomplishments provided by the employee and others they work with can be incorporated into the narrative, and doing so will often give the review extra credibility in the eyes of the person whose performance is being reviewed. 
As you write the narrative, you might find yourself just wanting to get it over with as quickly as possible. However, taking the time to be thoughtful and specific will help you in the long run, as the narrative will be the most useful portion of the review for the employee. Narratives provide important feedback that help the employee understand how they are performing relative to the expectations for their role. If you provide clear, detailed examples, this will give the person information on their performance review that they can act on. It also identifies areas for growth and development over the next year, which sets the stage for goal setting. You may have additional steps in your process before you deliver the review. For example, many units have a calibration step in which ratings are discussed by groups of managers to ensure consistency across multiple teams or units. Once you are ready to have the review conversation, you can start by summarizing any formal or informal check-ins throughout the year. This provides context and connects the review with other discussions you've had about performance. Then explain the rating scale being used, describe the scale itself, and describe how the scale is used. The more employees understand your review process and the more consistently it is applied, the less likely employees will become defensive and frustrated with their reviews, and the more likely they will be to see the process as reasonable and fair. So be sure to explain your college or unit's process and don't assume employees understand how it works or how ratings are determined. Also, explain any norms that are used in your college or unit for these ratings. So for example, if this were true for you, you might say, we generally find that most people receive a three meets expectations. Only about 10 to 20% receive a four or five. This helps the employee understand what their score means and may help clear up misperceptions and misinformation about scores. So once the person understands the scale and how it is used, then of course, let them know what their rating is. Then spend the majority of the review session covering the narrative, which will provide the rationale for the rating the person received. This involves explaining your evaluation of their important accomplishments and achievements, areas where they did not achieve their goals, strengths, and areas for improvement. Throughout the discussion, be sure to focus on the situations the person faced, the actions they took to achieve their goals, and the impact of those actions, positive, negative, or otherwise, on the success of their work. And then connect this to expectations you set for results they were to achieve and how they were to achieve those results. This is another reason why goal setting and ongoing check-ins are so helpful. If you do these, it will be much simpler to connect your evaluation to clear and specific expectations for their work. If you have not talked about expectations or goals, you may discover during the review discussion that the two of you were not on the same page regarding expectations for their work. And of course, now it's too late to fix that for the past year. As you go through each portion of the review, be sure to stop and ask the employee to share their thoughts and reactions as you go. If you've been having regular check-in conversations, the chances are the review discussion will not include anything surprising to the employee and it will feel like a slightly more formal version of things you've already talked about. In this case, consider talking about developmental activities for the next year. The review session is often a good time to begin creating a development plan and focusing on the future, which can feel more positive and productive than focusing on the past. You could even talk about setting those three to five broad goals for the next year. On the other hand, if anything surprises the employee, particularly anything negative, consider whether this is the first time they are hearing it. If it is, then let them know that you are aware that this is new information and give them time to consider what they have heard. Expect that they will react defensively and may need time before they can have a productive conversation about how to address that information. If the employee is receiving regular feedback and coaching throughout the year, 
Nothing in an annual review should be a surprise. All right, so to summarize, uh, an effective performance management process consists of goal setting, ongoing check-ins throughout the year, and formal evaluation. If you start this process early, your performance reviews should be much smoother than what you may be experiencing today. I'm gonna turn it over to Christina. So now let's finish our final round of live Q&A. So Donna's gonna answer a couple of questions for us. Hi, everyone. So uh, one of the questions is, how much leeway do we have in departing from the U of M standard form? Uh, and it's true, um, we do have a couple of templates, but um, if you go to policy, what it requires is that employees receive an annual performance um, appraisal. And although we have the standard university forms, units really have quite a bit of latitude in developing performance evaluation tools for their college and unit. Um, and again, because we're decentralized, there may be some variations in this. Um, if you're looking at exploring that, what I'd suggest you do first is check in with your HR lead or your HR team um, locally, uh, who will then need to confer with Central OHR if you're thinking about doing something different. But the main thing is there, there is some latitude and check with your HR folks. Um, one more question uh, is, our staff work one-on-one -on -one with various U of M community members. How, as the staff supervisors, do we measure feedback from the consumers? Um, and what I'd say about that is via email or whatever format, you might be more technologically adept um, and send out things that way. You might think about um, just submitting questions to the customers that interact most often with your employees. And it could be something really simple, like um, what do you want the employee to continue doing, start doing and stop doing, or something like what do you see as this, the employee's strengths and areas for development? and um, you know, ways they've been most helpful, ways they could be more helpful. It, they really can be really broad um, in terms of gathering that information. And then you could summarize that input and provide it to the employee. So I, maybe I'll, I'll uh, expand on, on one question because I see there's different versions of it. And in the poll, I think about half of you said that you do self ratings as part of your review process, and that's not uncommon. I've been part of a lot of review, of review processes where that's true. And you know, I think it, the, the, the research and, and experience on that is pretty clear that doing that, people do, they rate themselves more highly than maybe an objective measure would be. So you're setting it up for a defensive conversation. So that is kind of a reality, unfortunately. Um, and so I think if you have to do it, you know, being ready for that and be thinking about, okay, how am I gonna give accurate feedback, which is that's my job as a supervisor is to accurately evaluate people to the best of my ability if I know someone is overestimating their performance. And so, you know, be thinking about, be prepared for how can I talk about that in a way that's really gonna help them understand and hopefully also focus on the future and going forward um, instead of kind of dissecting the past. Um, but the bottom line is it tends to create frustration and defensiveness. So it would be a good good issue for further conversation at the uh, within your, your unit or college or department if that's something that, that you do. Um, and maybe one last real quick question. Someone asked about how often do you suggest holding more formal check-ins? Um, and, you know, it depends a little bit on the nature of the work, but generally, you know, a quarterly uh, check-in at a minimum. Uh, I would say most of the time monthly is probably about right. Um, but if you do it less frequently than quarterly, it's going to be hard to kind of have it feel like, uh, like you're making progress because you're just going to be spending all the time trying to catch up on what happened over several months. And that is all that we have the time for today. So thank you everyone for um, attending the webinar.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore the managing and evaluating performance resources on the supervising.umn.edu site. There, you'll find videos, guides, and more to help you plan, coach, and evaluate performance throughout the year. The Supervisory Development Course Podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions or would like to reach out, please email us at ltd.umn.edu. At